spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ragin' Review podcast. Nick, Jerry, Josh, back at you. Business as usual around here in the lab studios. Gentlemen, I know it's been boring over the last few days, but we're going to try to do a show here today. Hopefully it'll be good enough for the listeners and maybe for a couple of other people. So let's get started. First and foremost, I got to apologize a little under the weather. Sound like shit, so sorry in advance. Uh, how are you all? What's up, nerds? Doing well. <laughs> how you do? Well, you, we know how you're doing. You're a little under the weather. A little, a little under the weather. <laughs> Which, by the way, how dumb of a term is that? I'm under the weather. What the hell does that mean? That's a good question. I don't know. Never thought about really- it. I never really thought about that. Hmm. I'll have to Google it. It's worth a Google. Deep thoughts. Deep thoughts. Anyway, I guess we'll start with the elephant in the room, right? Razor Review has come under attack this week. Uh, I will I will take full blame. It's my fault. The thing about it is, you know, the great thing about social media is that you get to promote yourself and your brand and the things that you like, things that you have a little bit of passion about. And the bad thing about it is that you get to promote yourself and your brand and the things that you have a little bit of passion about. So it's double-edged sword in that regard. And then, uh, you know, there are people that sometimes like you a lot and sometimes they don't. And my problem is, is I have this disease where I feel like stupid people need to be told that they're stupid. And that gets me in trouble um, sometimes. And like I said, I'll go ahead and take the blame on that. It's my bad. Twitter is, in fact, a sewer with lots of swamp rats and nutra rats and berry rats. Shout out to the berry. <clears throat> anyway, we, uh, I probably could have handled it a little bit better. I'm not sorry for what I said, but I, I could have done it a little bit better, maybe a little bit more tasteful. But you know what happens, you know, to be quick about it, I don't want to spend too much time on this because honestly, it doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, the show rolls on. Raging Review continues to be strong. What we're going to do is we're going to be real quick in the explanation. There was a parody account that was inappropriate that was attacking Degs on a personal level. Um, there's, I have been his biggest critic, but I've always criticized the decisions that he makes on the diamond, and that's what I think should be done. It's healthy to question things uh, the right way. When you go after a man's vices, I think that that is crossing the line in a big way. And uh, there was a Twitter account out there doing that. And when they became, when they started to become personal with us personally, or, or with the podcast, uh, I thought that there was time to do some investigating. We did that. We smoked them out. They didn't like it, and they caused a shitstorm. And that's really the the end, the beginning and the end of it. Uh, there was some collateral damage, and a couple of people may have caught some strays from it. Uh, sometimes you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. I feel good about the end result. I think we accomplished our goals. And, um, you know, everybody saw it unfold in public. So 
I know you guys have a few thoughts on it. I'm going to turn it over to you, and I'm going to sit back and listen. You know, as you said, Josh, social media is a great thing, and social media, I think, is also going to be the downfall of society at some point because everybody can have an opinion and hide behind um, a name or or no picture or um, something of that nature. And and a couple of years ago, I, I used to get caught into that, and I would – I'd go off on these political rants and, and get pissed off and then stir the pot and see who would react to it. Then we get into the, this fight. And, and at some point in like the last year, maybe a year and a half, I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, what, what am I doing? It, this isn't fun. Um, so I get it. And I, I think I, the way I saw it unfold from our perspective is, is in collateral damage wise, we you saw someone coming after not only you but then also me and Jerry and I think you you stepped in at that point and, and really took offense to it and really stood up for us so for that I thank you I'm sorry you came under a little bit of a uh, a little bit of fire for that but um, look I'm not I I told you and I've told them, I'm here to talk about sports I'm not going to get involved in all that um, somebody wants to start you know retweeting stuff I'm saying and use that as as a weapon against you or anybody it doesn't matter who it is or what school they go to or what program I'm I'm gonna block it and and just go about my day and I've done that and I will continue to do that um but we're all very passionate about the program and at the end of the day we're all Cajuns fans or should be Cajuns fans because why would you listen to the pod if you're not so I think that needs to not be lost is that even though you think we're negative and we might call out coaches and we might call out players and we may call out administrators. We're still friends with those same coaches and administrators. And some of them are my family and it's okay. You can do both. We don't hate these people. We're just speaking out as a fan because we are a fan podcast and it's okay not to like us and it's okay not to listen to us. Um, but I, I guess the, the point of all this is if you don't like us and you don't listen to us, don't follow us on Twitter. And go about your day. I, I, I don't need to be attacked. Um, I certainly don't think I brought anything of, of that to the table, but here we are. So I'm glad we're moving forward. I'm glad we got past this. And um, that account is gone. And I'm happy to see it gone. And, um, yeah, I think um, I, I will reserve my thoughts of whoever is behind that and what I think of how despicable of a person or people they are. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I think you said a, a mouthful there, Nick. I, I'm I'm the same way. I'm, we're here to talk Cajun sports. We're not here to, you know, I think there's – let me back up for a second. There's a misconception sometimes about our podcast, like we go after people personally. I think there's a big misconception that when we talk about if a team, one of our teams lose, that we make personal attacks towards a player or a coach. Um, I challenge anyone to go look at an episode where we've ever done that, where we've personally attacked a coach, personally attacked a player, personally attacked anyone. Um, as fans, we have expectations. As fans, we have standards. I've said this before. Uh, when a team doesn't play up to the standards of, what we know they're capable of as fans, we're going to vent frustrations. Uh, so this idea that, you know, we're going after people and all this stuff. It's like you said, Nick, I mean, you have a family member. That's a coach. Um, I have friends that are in the administration. I have friends that are coaches. I have friends that have 
worn the Cajuns uniform. Um, so usually if there's a real problem, I have no problem telling them directly, hey, this is what I think. This is what I'm hearing from the fans. And I think there is a fine line of when we talk about it. We, I've always thought that we've said things that, even though sometimes they may sound a little more, uh, a little harsh based off of the results, it's never personal. And I just want people who are listening to understand that there's a difference between when we criticize the results on the field or on the court, it is different than attacking the person. I don't have any problems with any administrator, any coach, or any player here um, as long as they represent the the Raging Cajun brand with class and, and, and the utmost respect and dignity. So I just want to get that out the way. As far as the Twitter beef, look, it's Twitter, okay? People are going to go back and forth on things. It happens. Now, I've been kind of in the background because I don't like that kind of drama in many ways. I thought that um, some of the back and forth was a little too much for my taste, which is why you've seen my personal account. I've uh, posted some some stuff and like, hey, can we all just get along or more or less just one of those uh, kind of pleas for everybody just to kind of settle down. But um, you know, and even with the retweets, um, you know, I like you, Nick, I've been retweeted by a few of these accounts. And honestly, you like, I don't care if you want to retweet me. That's fine. I don't care. OK, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Whatever. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, I'm glad we can get past this and let's move forward, because, look, this fan podcast is not the Young and the Restless Rage and Review podcast. OK, it's the Rage and Review podcast to talk Rage and Cajun athletics. And we have a lot going on this weekend, you know, softball is in a regional baseball is still making a run at the postseason, or at least trying to make a run at the postseason. And we got a lot to talk about tonight. So I'm glad to put this behind us and, and continue what we're here to do. And that's talk rage and Cajun sports. And I'll put a bow on it like this. Um, we've, we've built a brand on being diehard Cajun supporters. Sometimes we criticize. Sometimes we don't. If you want to hear ass kissing, turn on terrestrial radio. We're here to have a conversation about what we see. If you don't like that, then we're not for you. If you don't like what we post, keep scrolling. If you don't like what we say, don't listen. It's very simple. This is a wonderful country. You have plenty of options. You don't have to listen to anything we say. You don't have to read anything we post. And if you are that offended and triggered by a, an innocuous post on Twitter, then move on, buddy. Four dopes on the internet are not going to bring down this podcast, and you can try all you want. It's not going to happen. You can go to the sponsors. You can go to Martin Hall. You can do all that stuff. You're wasting your time. Because at the end of the day, we have very strong relationships within this administration. We have very strong relationships with the players on the team. We have strong relationships with the coaches in some regard. You can do all you want. You can try to bring us down. It ain't going to work. So don't waste our time. Don't waste your time. Don't make an ass of yourself on Twitter. Just move it right along. And that's all I'm going to say. Next on the rundown, we played Nichols last night. We came out flat. I expected to come out flat. We basically got dominated by Nichols' midweek pitching for five and a half innings, and thank goodness for um, Will Veon because he provided a spark and got it, kind of got us going. But um, you know, it was, was kind of tough to watch. It was hot in the ballpark. God, it was, t- it was so hot, stagnant. Um, the crowd was, I mean, I don't know if we had 1,500 people there. It was, uh, it was a light crowd. Kind of a, kind of a, I don't know, they were a subdued crowd. You know, people weren't into it. 
Uh, but you know, walking up to the game, I even made a mention to uh, to my wife who I was with. I said, I think that we're gonna we're gonna struggle early, and I don't think there's gonna be a very good crowd. And that's exactly what happened. When you go get swept in a weekend series that is the biggest series you've played in five years, you know, that kind of rubs off into your next performance, rubs off into the fans, rubs off into the feeling of everybody around the program. So I wasn't I was not at all surprised at what we saw early. What'd you guys see early? Out of Nichols' midweek pitching, I thought they actually pitched well. I also thought that AP came out and dominated until he gave up the solo, and then he started walking people. Um, I was encouraged by the start, and I think he's going to help us down the stretch. What did you see? Funny story. So the guy that hit the home run off of AP, so as you know, Austin Perrin's a Hanville graduate, and you know their arch rival is uh, is Destrahan High. I mean, when I've been to a, a football game or two back in the day. They they do not like each other. They're separated by the Mississippi River, and they it's it it is one of the most intense high school rivalries in Louisiana. Ironically, uh, AP was wheeling and dealing. He go, he goes up against that batter from Nichols. Guess where that batter from Nichols went to high school? Destrahan. So you got a Hanville pitcher against against the Destrahan batter, and of course he, uh, believe it or not, I want to say he's actually he's challenged AP a few times when they faced each other, even in high school. So um, it was a pretty funny little fun fact. They were arch rivals in high school, and of course he hits the home run off of AP. But uh, you know, look, the biggest thing about AP is seniority. Uh, it's going to help a lot in this next you know seven to ten days. We're going to need him in many many ways, regardless of if it's in a a starting role or uh, a reliever. Um, but I thought he did a great job last night. I thought he pretty much, I mean, look outside, I want to say up until the ninth inning, that home run was their only hit. Um, and I actually, so for me personally, I, I wasn't, I was going to, um, I wasn't going to go to the game because I had some stuff to do here at the house, but then he, ironically, I was able to give my daughter a bath, put her to bed, and then she went to sleep. and And, and my wife was like, well, "Look, go 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 to the game for a few innings." I was watching it on TV. I'm 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 pretty close to the stadium, and uh, I show up right at the bottom of the sixth. Josh and uh, his wife were there, and I went sit with them. Literally, when I walk into the stadium, we score four runs. So I don't know if it was just me like skipping out on the boring part, but I don't know what it was. But the second I walked in the stadium. Uh, they started hitting the ball. So it's safe to say that I showed up at a good time. But you know what? I, I know there was a lot of fatigue and a lot of, like, you know, very upset uh, fans after this weekend. But, you know, they could have folded last night, and they didn't. I mean, look, we lost to Nichols early in the year. So the way the team responded in the sixth inning and on, and the way they hit the ball later in the game, that's perfect going into this weekend. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially fans, are talking about the Sunbelt Tournament. Look, you've got a you've got three games between Thursday and Saturday against a team that, yeah, the record may not show that they're the best team, but the same team beat us two out of three last year in Little Rock. So I think I think last night that rally was much needed. Uh, I thought a lot of our pitchers, especially guys like Jeff Wilson, where he was able to get a few innings, and Chipper Menard, I thought, did a great job getting a few guys in the rotation to, to throw some pitches out there. And um, I thought the bats came alive at the right time to set up for the weekend. So we needed that game last night. We needed that win. We're 31 and 20 now. Uh, RPI steady at 55. Uh, so got to finish strong this weekend and, and have some momentum going into Montgomery for the Sunbelt Tournament. Yeah, Jerry. And and you mentioned some fans being um, being mad about getting swept at Texas State. Look, I'm, I'm not mad. Um, did we – Blow some opportunities. Yes, we did. Did we have an opportunity to win on Saturday? Yes, we did. Did we get dominated pretty much the entire weekend? Yes, we did. We also played a top 15 team. They weren't no joke. You know, they they were a, a damn good team. And we would have had to play flawless baseball 
all three games to have a chance and we didn't. Um, so I'm not I'm not mad. I'm I'm disappointed as as all should a fan should be. Um, but I'm with you. I think we needed this win last night. Um, I, too, expected it to be a slow start uh, started getting a little bit worried when it was slower than expected. You know, I thought maybe around the fourth inning we'd start uh, hitting the ball. But but it wasn't until like the sixth till we really got some uh, some runs across um, the plate. I will blame top 100 percent for that that run that he gave that home run he gave up because top I'm telling you not not two pitches earlier tops like man he's in a rocking chair you know he's doing a great job I said the same thing and two pitches three pitches later egg and, and it happened and I'm like come on man that's that's like that's like talking about you know as a no hitter going into the eighth like you don't say those things just let the dude deal so uh hopefully hopefully top keeps his mouth shut next time but uh but yeah, I, I was I was pleased with with the outcome, and like you, uh, Jerry, I think for for this series that it was important for us to to get to get some runs, to get some some our bats going, um, to have some good performances by by pitchers, and and we got that. So all in all, a good night. I agree, and we battled back, and we we did come out flat. And a team that can flip on a dime like that is that's an important uh, ability to be able to have. I thought that. Austin, from a command standpoint, was about was about as crisp as he's been all season. If you look at his ERA, it's pretty good. It's like two four. It's a bit just damn good. Uh, I mean, he's got what eighteen appearances. That's pretty damn good for this point in the season, especially for a guy that was coming off of injury early in the season. So you know, AP's really started to step his game up, which we need. Sounds like he's going to be our fourth starter, depending on where we end up in the tournament. That's kind of what Deggs was intimating earlier. Um, I don't know if that was on. Uh, Scott show on Monday, or maybe it was at the luncheon, Jerry. I don't remember when it was, but he definitely said that. And that's great. You know, you want somebody with that amount of experience to be able to either a, you know, long relief for you or be able to start a game like that, where whether you're in the elimination bracket or not, you need that type of, uh, that, that type of somebody that's had this experience and been in these situations. That's important. I thought that Jeff looked really good. His breaking ball was very good. Uh, Chippers, his, I don't know what that is, that slurve that he throws to the inside. He throws it inside to the right-handed batter. That's unhittable. And he was throwing it on Tuesday night. I mean, it looked really good. So, you know, I don't know. You know, you always have, it's always in the air with Chipper. He, all, he either looks like he's a major league pitcher or barely made the team. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to get, but he looked really good on Tuesday night. So we'll roll with that. Uh, but you guys made, made a comment. Well, before we leave off of Nichols, Will Vayon hit two bombs out. And both of them were no doubters. And man... That sparked the team. You know, it, I know we kind of piled it on there in that in that four-run inning, and that needed to happen. You know, Rock Rock. I don't know if Rock had a hit, but I think he did score a run. Uh, but you really weren't get a, you weren't getting a lot of production from the middle of the lineup, and then Veyon comes in the game and pop pop. You know, game totally changed. Uh, Warner Rinconis got a hit and played some great defense at second base. Um, I know a lot of people are interested in that, so I got to make that comment. I'm a big fan of Warner Rinconis. I'm glad to see him putting the bat head on a baseball. But Nichols came out and they played hard for half the game and then they got ran off the field by a better team. That's what we saw on on, uh, on Tuesday. But I think was I was going to say I think what's really cool to watch is a lot of our base hits are hard hits. They're not no little they're not a blooper in the infield outside of a bunt. A lot of a lot of our hits last night especially when I showed up in the 6th or 7th I noticed in the gap you know they weren't really shallow hits. I mean they were hard hit balls. I think one or two to the wall. Um 
I've noticed the bats really in the last three weeks have come around to those type of hits, even against Texas State last week. The biggest thing now is being able, when you hit a double, when you get on base, when you are able to get a guy first and third with less than two outs, the biggest thing now moving forward is scoring them. You got to score them. I mean, that's the big thing. So um, I think it was very encouraging last night seeing how the team responded with those type of hits. But no, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it, it's the the you really see the whole entire one through nine in the lineup. Everybody's got potential to, to, to really to shine the next week. One more thing. How many stolen bases did we have last night? I felt, let's see three, four. I mean, I feel like there were 30 stolen bases. I felt bad for that catcher. That Nichols cat. I really did. terrible. Cause and we were just, the first I mean, time he, he threw no the second base. Oh I yeah. made a comment to somebody next to me. I said, the, the catcher's brutal. We gotta, we gotta abuse him. He's terrible. Yeah. And, and, and they did. And they, it must've been seven or eight stolen bases. Seriously. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, we ten actually. Ten, ten stolen, stolen bases. bases. Wow. Four by Heath Hood. <laughs> well, Heath was slapping the ball around the field last night. Insane. Or in, on Tuesday night, excuse me. Yeah. But anyway, you guys mentioned Texas State. Uh, Texas State effectively delivered the death blow to our at-large opportunity. I mean, that's I hate to say that, but you know they had a projection today that came out that we were the last four out. If you're the last four out, you're 100 percent out. If you're the last four in, you're out. You know, there's too many stolen bids in the tournament, uh, in the tournament uh, um, scenario where people come in there and they win the tournament that they shouldn't in different conferences. So being the last four in is a problem. Being the last four out, you're essentially not in without winning the tournament, obviously. Um, Texas State, you know, I, I have on the rundown that we were going to talk about our thoughts of Texas State after this, but I think we should, let's change that up and let's talk about our, our thoughts of Texas State. I thought that Texas State was good. I thought they were a good team. I, I was not impressed with their defense. I was not impressed with their relief pitching outside of the two, the Tristan Owens, the, uh, the uh, obviously Stivers. And there was one other little sidewinder that came in for about an inning and two thirds that, that was somewhat impressive and a little bit effective. But Sunday, you, it, the thin bullpen showed very much. The good thing about them was that they never really had to get too deep into the bullpen because we really weren't hitting the ball. We had hits, but we weren't scoring runs. Outside of, you know, Julian... And Rock on Friday, and then on Saturday, I know we kind of put a little hit parade together, but the push, you know, we got overshadowed by giving free bases away. Uh, but but anyway, Texas State is good. I think they play in a crackerjack ballpark, and when the wind blows out, you can pop a ball up, and it's going to fly out. I thought the two Sheffield home runs were outs at the Teague. They're going to be outs in Montgomery. Um, I'm not impressed with, like, five through seven. Five through eight in their lineup. I, I know Faison had an absolute career weekend, but that's never ever going to happen to him again ever, in the course of his entire life. That that was unbelievable. He owned Tally. I mean, he absolutely owned him. Every ball, even the foul balls, were crushed. That that was bizarre. Uh, but credit to him. I mean, he looks like a forty-five year old man on juice, and he just hit the ball all over the place. Uh, so outside of him and Shelfield on Friday, I mean, those two kids dominated as Tally pitched pretty well against everybody else. Even though he didn't bring his good stuff, he he, he got guys out. Uh, Schultz pitched okay. He, he had a couple of moments, but we just gave up too much in the bullpen. And then on Sunday, it was, you know, hit to save your life, and then we gave up too many. We made errors. We gave up too many free passes. I think Texas State has a deficiency defensively, like the numbers suggest. I think that after about five guys, their bullpen is going to be exposed in Montgomery. I don't think they're going to win the tournament. I don't even know if they're going to make it to the finals. I don't think they have the pitching. 
And I don't think that their game is suitable for Montgomery in that big ballpark. But against us in San Marcos, they dominated us. I mean, they did. And it's not, it doesn't help when you're beating yourself. When you're given how many, six or seven free passes on Saturday, uh, four or five more on Sunday, you know, we, we beat ourselves way too much. We're never going to beat a good team. You know, forget about a great team. We're never going to beat a good team with these, these mental lapses and these guys. You know, what I noticed about Tally on Friday is as soon as he started getting slapped around, he started nibbling. He started nibbling on the black. He started throwing the ball, you know, 57 feet. And I, I, Brad made the comment about the mound being a problem and his landing spot was kind of carved out and it seemed like he was uncomfortable. And he made the comment that Tally's not the type of kid to complain about it. Well, look, man, that's not complaining. That is a competitive advantage. If you're pitching against a guy, I don't know what, I think Brandon's what, six foot, maybe 5'11", six foot. The other kid was like 6'4", six, 6'3", six, and his his landing foot was a foot past where Brandon, where, uh, Brandon Tally's landing spot was. If he's struggling to, to be comfortable when he's pitching, he needs to say something. Because if that's what affected him on Friday, I mean, that's a big deal. Or the coaching staff, man. I mean, the coaching staff. if Brad saw it, somebody should have seen it, right? You know, and Brad um, knows what he's talking about. And I, I kind of noticed the same thing where every time he would land, he would look down and you kind of move his foot around. It was like, all right, well, if it's an issue, we need to bring it up. Uh, but but anyway, I'm just kind of pointing out a lot of the small things. I thought Texas State is a good team. I, I don't think they're great. I don't think they're unbeatable. I think we beat ourselves in a lot, a lot more situations than they beat us. Uh, but curious about your thoughts of Texas State. Yeah, I think their lineup is built for their stadium. Um. In Montgomery, I think Montgomery Stadium is more built towards us. Um, I think they're, they're built. I think Georgia Southern and us correct fit that that park better than exactly. anybody else. And I think we've seen that over the last couple of seasons that we've played there. Um, that that we excel there. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm with you. I'm not sold on them making it to the championship game. Um, people made comments. Well. If you take away the home runs this past weekend, well, we had the opportunity to hit home runs too. It's crackjack ballpark, like you said. We just don't have the power. We're not built for that type of offense, right? We want to hit gappers. We want to get guys on base. We want to steal. We want to, you know, create chaos on on the bases. So um, I think we're going to have more of an opportunity when we get to the conference tournament to make some noise. Um, Again, if we win the next three games, it is not out of the realm of complete possibility that we could still get an at-large, but it would take us playing Georgia Southern and Texas State multiple times and beating them each time and other teams in tournaments winning the tournaments they should. So there is a, a technical chance that we could do it, but it's it's very slim, slim to none for it to happen. So take care of business this weekend first. Um, we need to win all three games regardless of what it, RPI matters at this point and, and at large we need confidence going into the tournament we need to swing the bat going into the tournament we need to have relief pitcher well first we need to have our starters get off to good starts and not give up three runs in the first inning and we need our relievers to come in and shut the door and I think if we see that this weekend then I'm going to breathe a little bit and have a good feeling it's going to be so important for us in this tournament to get off to a good start because we cannot go through the loser's bracket by losing the first or second game of this tournament. 
that will hurt us tremendously. If we can win the first couple of games, I think we have a shot because we can hit against average pitchers. And there we will be seeing average pitchers from that point forward. But I don't want to take a chance going through the loser's bracket and and only being able to lose one more game if we lose the first or second. That's going to be really tough for us to come back from. So um, the next three games are just as important as the last three, and, and we need to take care of business this weekend. But, no, I saw what you saw, Josh. I, 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 again, I, I think we're going to know Texas State who they really are in the tournament. Yeah, you know, Texas State, they, they do play to their ballpark, but give give – give credit they got some power on that on on that on that team um they hit the ball well they they put the ball in play they put the ball in the gap uh even on in, in two outs i mean look sunday they had two outs they scored four or five runs to start the game off all off two outs good teams find ways to do that uh, regardless of the ballpark they play in now i did notice and i called it before the the series that they know where they know where to pick their spots. They know where the, where the ball usually carries the best. And it seemed like every time it always, they always hit it to the same place. Uh, so give credit to them there. They, they just, they, they hit with power. And I thought their bullpen was, was okay. I thought their bullpen was a little bit better than ours this weekend. Um, they had, I think it was one of the Tristans, as you call them, Josh, I mean, had a breaking ball. That was just sick. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't even, I mean, we were whiffing like crazy. But when you have a bullpen like that, that can do those things. It could kill your momentum, which they did. You know, it's a mark of a good team. It's a mark of a good team with good pitching besides just their bats. So I thought, Jerry, what happened when he came back on Sunday? We figured him out. Exactly. Yeah, we figured him out. But I think one thing that actually makes me optimistic, and Coach Deggs mentioned this recently, that – we lost every game by two runs, but it's almost and, and I'm 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 committing the mortal sin of cross cross referencing sports. It's almost like football. It's a game of inches. It's kind of the same thing here. Regardless of getting swept, one or two things go our way, it's a different series. And one thing that Coach Degg said, uh, I think it was yeah, at the luncheon today, at the Diamond Club luncheon, I asked him, uh, what I actually yeah, I asked him, I said, what do you think about playing them in Montgomery, knowing what you know now and seeing how we actually still, in spite of getting swept, competed. And he said it. He goes, you know, the ballpark dimensions and everything like that. He goes, you play them at the Teague, it's a different series because the ball's not going to carry. We all know that graveyard in center field that we all know and love at our stadium. The, Montgomery is built just like that. So, I look, I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of playing them again. I, look, we went toe-to-toe with them in every game. We should We should have won Saturday. You know, should have won Saturday, shouldn't have, you know, you don't give them a big lead early on Sunday. You have a shot, still made a comeback, could have won the game. I mean, we out hit them in two games. So we have the potential to to go into this tournament against a team like Texas State. We could be the team to eliminate them for all we know. Um, But I would love, honestly, I know they went three for three against us, but I would love, love another shot at them in Montgomery because I think with the ballpark dimensions over there, it's a lot different. Now, with that said, we talked about it last week. You cannot make simple mistakes against a team like Texas State. And what did we do? We made one or two errors. We 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 messed up on the base running. I mean, look, Saturday, we do a double steal at first and third. I mean, Connor Higgs gets called out at home. Very next pitch, Debo hits a double to left field. That's two runs. That's two runs you score. Little things like that against the you know nationally ranked teams you can't do that so i'm hoping i hope this weekend 
we learn from that. I hope this weekend is a good test run for the tournament to where we clean up these kind of things. Because when you go play Georgia Southern and you go play Texas State again, you can't do that. Because guess what? The one little mistake can end your season now. This is, there's no more room for error. So I, I was I discouraged with guys whipped? Yes. But I'm also encouraged because I think we're good enough to go toe-to-toe with them. It showed. So, again, go in this weekend. Senior weekend at the T, get the sweep, take care of business, win the series, go into Montgomery fresh and prepared, and go in with vengeance. You do that, and if you pitch well, because I think the bats are doing the bats are doing their thing. We're we're hitting the ball. Just got to pitch. Do that, and if you win the first two, you're you're in good shape, and 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 that's where now you start talking regionals because you're gonna have to get through a Texas State or a Georgia Southern that first or that second game. So. Do that. I'm I'm feeling really really good uh, going into what is it? What it'd be like Wednesday or Thursday? We would play the third round game if we win the first two or Friday maybe. Well, it depends on where we're seated. So, but yes, yeah. most likely a four seed. That's where we're at. But yeah. you know, you made a comment about the you know the the series of the games and how they went down. Saturday is really the game that's the knife turner because look, you come out Friday, you're on the road. It's hostile. It's hot. They've got their best shot coming to you. And, I, look, I, I credit the guys. You know, Rock gets the big double with two outs, and Julian hits the bomb. We were texting, and I said, all right, Julian, put that thing over the fence. And sure enough, he hits one out. That was really awesome. And we were fired up. But the fact of the matter is we were playing catch-up at that point. I mean, we were we finally started to get a, a feel of wood. He hit the ball out of the park. They go to Tristan. He shuts us down. But we were never really – it never felt like we were really truly in the game. I know we kind of made it close, but they came back, get those nickel and dime runs, and we burned Hammond on Friday. But being down three to nothing early, it takes you out of your game plan, which kind of bothered me because honestly, why didn't we put more pressure on their defense? We're down by three. We're not down by six. You know what I mean? I wanted we had zero small ball. I don't think we stole a base on Friday. That that was that was concerning to me. I don't know why we decided to get away from our game plan. And then the kids started just popping the ball up because they're trying to play gorilla ball and hit it out of the park because the wind was blowing out. That's what I saw. I know we got under a couple of pitches you know, just because Wood was really good, but uh, I, I, was, I was concerned about how we just change up our game plan like that. And once we decided to start free swinging, we started hitting the ball around. So that was Friday, but I understood the dynamics of Friday, okay? Of course you want to go in there and get a W, but if you don't, you kind of understand, you feel out the opponent, you're on the road, hostile, I get it. Saturday you come out, you control the majority of the game. Schultz didn't have his best stuff, but, man, he competed. And, man, the, the defense played well, and we cost ourselves runs on Saturday. You mentioned the, the Higgs trying to steal home thing, and some it almost felt like some desperate managing. You know, I said that on, on Saturday, and I felt that way. And sure enough, we ended up losing the game by two. And what happened? We talked about using Jake on, uh, on Friday, and when he comes back in his second appearance, he's never as effective. Sure enough, on Saturday, that happened. He gave up the two runs that put Texas State ahead for good. Sunday, you come out, you get down big. I think at nine, it was nine to two at one point. They have a, a total meltdown inning somewhere in the sixth, fifth or sixth. We claw our way back into it, and then again, hit by pitch, uh, walk. You know, just just self-inflicted wounds on Sunday, and it was getaway day. And even if we'd have lost Friday, Saturday. You feel like if you go if you go get a win on getaway day, you, you feel good about yourself going into the stretch run. 
I thought Sunday was even more important than we lost on Saturday. Now, Wilson was a terrible matchup for that that team. He's a contact pitcher. He's a get-yourself-out type of pitcher. Wind's blowing out again. It's hot. Ball's traveling in a crackerjack park. I would have been shocked if I made it to, if he made it to the third inning. I told you guys he got four outs. You know, I, you know, I just thought he was a horrible matchup, and I, I probably Deggs learned something from that. I assume he did, and and Tib learned something from that because I, I just he made a comment early that he thought it was a good matchup, and I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine why he said that, but but it was a horrible matchup. Just not a bad pitcher. He just is very effective against certain lineups and certain situations. That wasn't one of them. Not to mention, he hasn't had a ton of success lately. So I wondered where his head was at. Uh, so Sunday and Friday, I totally understand. Saturday, man, Saturday is the killer. Yeah, Saturday. Um, it reminded me a little bit of, of when we played Florida in football and we had Florida on the ropes. And they were like, nah, we're good. And and then we screw up at the very end, like with two seconds left. Going, What were you doing? Why weren't you playing to win? And that's kind of what we felt like. We were playing to, to hang in there. But in the end, it just felt like a total collapse and, and kind of like the air um, came out of the balloon. So I get it. Only other thing I'm going to say that was uh, awful about the weekend was that uh, that home plate umpire on Sunday who made uh, that awful uh, called strike three, which, by the way, we had runners on base. So maybe could have scored in another couple runs had he had he, you know, made the correct call. And um, and then calling I've never seen an umpire pick up a cell phone and call somebody to ask them how many, how many balls and strikes are there? What's the count? Uh, the not rules and nobody else that. knows on the field, by the way, right. the how other two umpires had no clue. Never terrible. As second base umpire on what was that Saturday? Yeah. Or, or second base umpire on Saturday was, was one of the worst I've ever seen. That was a terrible crew. I don't understand how at D one level you continue to have these little league crews everywhere you go. Doesn't matter if we're at home or on the road. They're just so bad. You know, Dexon mentioned uh, the other day that um, when Kimple went up to bat and on the Sunday game, you know, the strike that was like at his eyes and they called the strike three. Dex is like, I'm writing something down on my list or my chart. All of a sudden, I'm looking up and Kimple's walking back to the dugout and he's like, wait a minute. What happened? <laughs> he said, I did as a strikeout. And then the home plane umpire had the audacity to like hold them back and start they gave him a warning. Like, yes. Dude. Yes. Like that was that was so bad. How can you he gave him a warning that the because second base umpire should have given you a warning on how awful that call was? I was about to say so you you so you got the audacity to call a strike. The ball is at Kimball's eyes, and then you're going to give the coach a warning for questioning why you called the strike that was literally about to hit his head. Are you kidding me? I mean that 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 that's. I don't even argue about the fact that that's a. Then we don't talk about the three man umpiring crew. That's not even that. That's incompetence, man. That look, is straight up incompetence. This is I, nothing to do. They could have a five-man umpiring crew. That is horrible. Terrible. I was, I was admittedly excited when they announced this collaboration with the SEC officiating because I thought they were going to use the Sun Belt as the the you know the the where you train, right? This is where you like get a model. Good. Right. This is where yeah, you get good absolutely. to go to the minors, you know, in college. You go to the minors and you minors, you go to majors. I thought this is going to be a step up for 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 umpires that they get to to you know eventually make it up to the SEC so they could get into major league baseball or wherever they want to end up. But it's it seems like they took the the few good umpires that we've had in the past, moved them up to the SEC and were like good luck. So that's not exactly I how I I envisioned this this I mean in football to me they got up better. Um 
than than we have been in the past. But baseball has just been totally awful. I agree, and in basketball also. I think basketball and baseball have oh, suffered yeah. tremendously because of hundred percent. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's check out the standings. You know, with the sweep, Louisiana is now six games back of Texas State, who is number one in the conference. They have a twenty-three and four record in conference, forty-one and eleven overall. Amazing. They're nine and one in their last ten. They have an RPI rank of thirty-one. Georgia Southern still sits with a gaudy RPI rank of six. They are twenty and seven in conference. They are firmly in the second place or in second place for the conference. Uh, they're a half game up on Coastal, but I think I think Georgia Southern has an easier path to finish in second place than Coastal does. So I think Georgia Southern's sitting in a pretty nice spot. They're thirty five and seventeen overall, and uh, seven and three in their last ten. Georgia Southern's going to be a hell of an out in the conference tournament. Coastal Carolina nineteen seven and one on an absolute heater. Their RPI is all the way up to twenty seven. They're thirty four and sixteen and one overall, and uh, I do not want to see them. In Montgomery, I'm just telling you guys, I don't want to see him. Did you see what they did to Clemson the other night? I, they embarrassed. They embarrassed them. It's like 17 to two or something ridiculous. Yeah, they're rolling, dude. They they are rolling. I mean, it, they have been playing some incredible baseball. Uh, the Cajuns have not. We are 17 and 10 in conference. RPI is all the way down to 55, which actually I don't think it really dropped all that much. In fact, I might have increased by one since the last time we gave uh, a league update. Six and four in our last 10. 31 and 20 overall, which is very similar to the 2021 record. South Alabama, we mentioned them that they were starting to right the ship. They're now 7 and 3 in their last 10, 30 and 20 now overall for the season. Their RPI is back up to 72. Not where it want that where they wanted it to be, but it's a it's a far cry from where they started about a month ago. They've been playing some better ball. Um 16 and 11 in conference. Georgia State went out and got a sweep this weekend, 6 and 4 in their last 10. Conference, I mean, uh, RPI is back in the top 100 at 84, 15 and 12 in the conference. Troy, 13 and 14, really kind of playing bad ball lately. They're 2 and 8, uh, but their their RPI is still at 103. We'd like to see them get back in that top 100. That helps uh, the entire conference as a whole. 29 and 22 overall is Troy. Then we got Little Rock, who we're going to see at the Teague this weekend. They're 10 and 16 in conference. 23 and 24 overall, very average team. RPI of 188, and they're 5 and 5 in their last 10. But they can hit, as you're going to find out in the second segment when we look at their offense. App State still battling to make the conference tournament. You know, we did lose one to them, but uh, they had a couple of decent wins over the week. They're 4 and 6 in their last 10. Their RPI is at 120, which is an improvement since when we played them, uh, you know. 18 and 30 overall, not where they wanted to be. Guarantee you that because they, they thought they had it trending in the right direction last year with that new coach. Um, I, I would, I guarantee you they're not happy about what's going on. UTA, you guys saw us dominate us last. Well, I say dominate. We won three games, but they were, they were dog fights. Every single one of them. UTA's RPI is down to two fifty five, wow. 15 and 36, seven and 20 in conference and just not very good. Uh, but they might actually qualify for the conference tournament because ULM and Arkansas state are just, they're just bad. So I don't, I'm not even gonna waste my time talking about them because I don't, I don't think that they're going to make it. UTA is a half game ahead of ULM. Poor ULM had it going in the right direction. Just as, as much as last year, they played us tough and they, they have just totally fallen apart. Now they've got Arkansas state to close the season. So that's kind of like a de facto 
get into the tournament opportunity for them for both clubs. You know, considering what UTA ends up doing, uh, I'll check real quick to see what UTA is going to be doing in their last conference series. But I mean, you're talking about the dregs of the conference here, man. I mean, this is just not. It's not good. It's really the thing is, is at one point the Sun Belt Conference was at number five overall in the conference RPIs. We're all, we're all the way down to eight because of Arkansas State's and your ULMs and your UTAs. Now UTA's got to go to uh, actually no, they're going to host. Nope, it's right. We're they're going to Statesboro and Georgia Southern. <laughs> they're going to play Georgia Southern this last weekend. So. I think it's safe to say that UTA is kind of up against the wall to make the conference tournament. So we'll revisit that next week and see how everybody pans out. But that's a little revisit of where the league is right now. Any thoughts on what's coming this weekend for the conference mates? You guys scared of anybody? You guys been paying attention to anybody? No, man. Um, I stopped after we lost that series because now I'm not RPI watching for us. Um, Same. Same. So, so yeah, no, um, just, just got to, again, try to try to get the best seating that we can in the, in the conference tournament and go in there with uh, with some wins strung together. Well, keep an eye out on uh, Coastal Carolina and South Alabama. I believe they're playing this weekend, so that could be a big factor for the Cajuns as far as seating goes. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on that one. But outside of that, I mean, look, just go, just win. Just win. Get the RPI as high as possible going into the conference tournament. And by that point, you hope to face the Georgia Southern and Texas State and take care of business against them, and that should help. But, uh, yeah, get, get get past these three games. Try to get into the third-place spot. But outside of that, just take care of business. Get ready for Montgomery. Yeah, that Coastal Series is going to be interesting. South Alabama is not necessarily fighting for their lives like they used to be, but they're playing better ball. That would be a big confidence builder uh, for that team going into Montgomery, so that'll be interesting. Folks, please patronize the sponsors, give to the RCAF, all that stuff. See you on the other side. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Raging Cajun softball train just keeps rolling. New players, new faces, new coaches, new year. Who dis? 
another regular season championship, another conference tournament championship. In convincing fashion, might I add. Just blew the doors off of Texas State on Saturday this past weekend. Going to head to Clemson in a regional. Uh, I wanted to say Clemson is kind of in the middle, seven or eight overall seed. Jerry can correct me on that, but we've got Auburn, got UNC Wilmington and Clemson, and obviously Louisiana in there. Should be interesting. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I just want to say congratulations to the girls for just doing what we do. Another great season. Yeah, I um, I was texting you this weekend. I had the pleasure of hanging out with a former University of Washington co-head coach this weekend, and he just had nothing but wonderful things to say about Glasgow. In fact, he was texting him as we were talking, and that's kind of what brought up the conversation. But a uh, heck of a job, man, that that Glasgow did this season. Um, lots of lots of things going against them earlier in the season and adversity to overcome and losing. I mean, you think about it, we, we didn't beat a top 25 team until we played Texas a second time, I think, later in the season. So congratulations to those ladies. They've earned it. They're peaking at the right time. And uh, yeah, now I start, I mean, admittedly, I don't follow closely. I don't watch every game during the season, but this time of the season, this time of the year, I do start watching them and following them and pulling for them. So uh, looking forward to see see how far they uh, they can go in the tournament, but I think they're going to make some noise. I think that's a very winnable region for them. Yeah, congratulations to Coach Glasgow and, and his team uh, for a team that faced some adversity early on. I mean, five or six freshmen starting consistently. Brand new pitching staff, which, by the way, shout out to Coach Justin Robichaux on that. Um, fantastic job. Um, you know, uh, getting these, getting these pitchers in line and, and being able to being able to show some consistency when it really mattered down the final stretch of the regular season into the conference tournament. Um, you know, it's funny, the conversation of, uh, is, is coach Glasgow, the guy for the job, or is he not, uh, carrying, uh, carrying the weight of, of the expectations of the program and all this, Chit chat has kind of died down since uh, middle of the year. Uh, I know at one point they were 16 and eight and everybody was freaking out. Oh my gosh, we're losing games. We're getting run ruled by these, uh, you know, Alabama and LSU beat us and all this other stuff. Well, since the 16 and eight record, we've gone 28 and three. Uh, We've pretty much taken care of business and run through the conference like we've done as usual. And we're quite possibly one of the hottest teams in America right now going into a Clemson regional that is not only uh, a winnable one, but actually I think the pathway to Oklahoma city is uh, it's a challenge, but it's actually kind of more on the friendlier side compared to where we could have gone. Uh, for example, um, you know, this Clemson regional, if you're able to get through Auburn and Clemson and win the regional, um, the sky's the limit when you, cause I, I do know to answer your ch- uh, question, Josh Clemson's the 10 seed. So we're paired up with the seven, who is Oklahoma State. They don't scare me. They don't scare me. It's better than going to Norman, Oklahoma. It's better than going to Tuscaloosa. So I, uh, <clears throat> I have a. I, I'm I'm curious to see the youth, how the youth of this team can, or how can they overcome their youth this weekend with a challenge. But if there's anybody that can face that challenge, it's this team. So. Um, 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. I didn't have much. I did not have many expectations for this team coming in outside of a regional berth. But you know what? At this point, the hell with it, man. Go in the regional. So Go in the regional. Clemson's only had a softball program in Division One for what? Three years? I think yeah. somebody said only like three years. And so they built this beautiful new stadium three years ago and only have a thousand seats in it. I know our right. fans are pissed off that they can't get can't get a seat. Now, granted, to be fair, if we hosted a regional with three thousand people, there would still only be a hundred. You know, it would be sold out. We would still not be able to get tickets. But I'm looking on StubHub right now. There are exactly five tickets that are available for the regional that you can get. You know, off of uh, off of fans who got them. I guess players, families, or whatever season ticket holders. Um, What's the cost, and- Nick? One the the best they're, they're only single tickets so like they have one of those uh, general admission where you sit in the berm that's like a hundred bucks the uh, wow. they've got two tickets for the first Friday or the first day of the super regional one ninety nine a piece to watch college softball and that is Columbia. absolutely insane crazy crazy so it's unfortunate but like I said I think um, I think if it were a bigger stadium there would be more tickets available on the marketplace but it still wouldn't be cheap to go there and, and, but there would still be more availability, I guess. The Sunbelt champs are in as the three seed, which I mean, that's gotta be one of the strongest. If you look at all four teams, it's gotta be one of the strongest regionals in the country because Auburn really is a good team. I mean, we owe Auburn the last time we played Auburn, we were up big and kind of, we gave them, we gave them our milk money. Remember that Jerry, that wasn't too great. Uh, 2015, 2015, we could hit the ball over the park, but uh, you know, our, our ACE pitcher there was Christina, right? We used her quite a bit in that year, in that uh, season. So she was probably worn down at that point. But look, this is some some redemption opportunity, and I think that again, I think the regional is good. I think if we can come out of it. We'll be seasoned, and being paired up with a, a a seven seed is is pretty middle of the pack. I mean, not saying that Oklahoma State isn't any good. I don't know much about the program, but if you're trying to make it to to um, to you know College World Series, you want to go to Oklahoma. That's the way to go. That's the way to go. So. Sky's the limit. We could see we could see the team growing up as the team uh, progressed in their season. I think that they're playing their best ball at the most opportune time. And like you said, Glasgow's done a fantastic job. Justin's done a great job. We'll see. I, I think it's something to watch. And and, and I'm like Nick. I, I'm not a huge softball follower. I love to give them the praise that they deserve because anybody that goes out and represents us well deserves coverage. And I know that there are a lot of uh, softball fans that listen. And I know there's a lot of interest here in the area. I, again, encourage you guys to listen to Roarman's uh, Raging College Softball Podcast. He does an absolutely st- a spectacular job. Rory Strinch does. And uh, he's got he's got a guest on this week. He told me who it was, and I can't remember. Uh, he may be having Justin McLeod on as the, as the season progresses, if it does so. So you guys go check him out. He knows what he's talking about, and he's plugged into the program. Moving on from softball, the NCAA continues to release – New legislation and decisions, uh, most of which none of us really can make sense of. Nick was able to do some digging on some scholarship limitations that have been lifted. Uh, and I think that divisions have also been eliminated from all the P5 conferences. I know the Pac-12 released a statement this evening, uh, which we're recording on Wednesday night. So, uh, you know, I haven't been able to look at it. There's a lot of things changing in, in, in the world of college football. Uh, Nick. What were you able to figure out with your research? Yeah, the division, the divisions part of it, pretty easy to understand. You don't have to have divisions to have a championship game. 
Um, so that was pretty easy. The other one was eliminating, eliminating the limit on scholarship football players for a single recruiting class. Um, right now, the, the limit is 25, or before this was passed, the limit was 25. So if, if let's say in Napier's, you know, him leaving, let's say we lose, something happens, we collapse, we lose 40 players. We could only go and recruit 25 scholarship players from that point. Now it's unlimited. So if you lose 40, you can recruit 40. So that is my understanding of what that means. Um, it that doesn't mean unlimited scholarships, um, 85 scholarships for, for the team, but it just means you can go and recruit um, to the number of kids that you need to recruit to. Right, and um, to be clear, I, and I, when I said unlimited, uh, 85 is still the cap. Correct. It's just a difference on, it's basically back to the oversigning old days. That that's, that sounds, that's what I got from when, when I read it. Yeah, that's what I got too. Um, so, so yeah, that, it, that, that's basically what it means. Um, you also have to think of it in another way that I, I, I was trying to think of perspectives and like how this could help and how this could hurt. The one thing that you, you kind of have to keep in mind is this is also something that could affect the player and the coaching staff in where in the past, if you're losing some guys, you're, you're looking at the 25 man limit. And if you want to get rid of a player that's not performing up to your standard, you're keeping that 25 player limit in mind. Now they can cut 10 guys and replace them with 10 guys. So, and that doesn't, there's no limit. So you're not worrying about that 25. So that'll be interesting to see how that works out too, especially in the world. How does that play in NIL? You know, how does this, if, what if they have a guy they're giving the Lambo to, but he's not performing. So we're going to get rid of him and give the Lambo to this other guy. That'll be interesting to see how that all, all plays out um, with the divisions. I'm interested to, to see your guys take on it. Um, I like the divisions in the Sun Belt. I think it keeps travel um, compact and it keeps rivalries going. While I, you know, would love to play App and Coastal every year, understanding that we can't. And I think it's also kind of a benefit to us being in the in the West because traditionally we have been the team to beat in the West because we've had a lot of uh, struggling teams. Now we've got Southern Miss coming over. We've got Troy that's now in our division. It'll get a little bit tougher. But um, if we were to eliminate divisions, what schools do you think would benefit the most and which ones do you think would, would hurt the most? I think we would be the most hurt by it because I think, again, we're in the weakest, weaker division. So, of course, we want to stay in that division to, to keep winning um, and, and making it to the championship game. But your guys' thoughts on who might, who might benefit more from, from that type of setup if we got rid of divisions altogether? Well, real quick before we comment, does it say if it's going to be a blanket deal or are conferences going to go ahead and vote on that? Or are we all just going to get away from divisions? Does it say no, the Pac-12 already said we're not doing it. We're like, like five minutes later, we're done. So we can stay how we are. But um, it's essentially giving the conference the power to choose who plays in the championship game. So we could still, I Taking think. Taking your best teams. Uh, technically by this rule, I believe, and I haven't really – you know, looked into it, but they could, the conference could say, okay, well, you won your division, but Coastal came in second. They have the better winning percentage. They're going with app to the championship game. I, I don't know if, if that's possible. It could be. Um, so it, and then somebody, I think somebody was mentioning, well, what if we do pods? Well, that's a terrible, I don't want to do pods. I don't want to, that's no. just weird. You saw, you saw how that worked out with baseball. During yeah, the COVID no, year. I'm out on I, that. Right. So I, I think it would hurt us, obviously, because look at, if you go back to uh, Levi's first year starting, we were seven and seven and we were Western division champs. If 
want to say that um, the second place team in the East had won nine games. If I remember that, Jerry, maybe you can correct me, but that, you know, in this scenario, we would not have made the, the championship game. So, yeah, I think it definitely hurts us. And like you said, traditionally, the Texas states of the world, the South Alabamas, who, who yes, they've gotten a little bit better, but it, now Troy's coming over. We're still historically a better program. I mean, yeah, we, we've had some struggle. ULM, you know, uh, we've had some, Arkansas State has been down. We've had some struggling programs, especially the last five years. It would definitely hurt us. I mean, I still think we're in really good shape to be able to compete at the top level of this league. But, man, I wonder how it affects scheduling. Like you said, if, if you're not playing just division opponents. Huh. Right, and you think about it. Okay, so is it fair, you know, because we're at the top of the league this year that we, they automatically schedule us to play Marshall, App State, you know, uh, uh, Coastal the following, you know, how are they going to make that fair? How are they going to balance it out? And and not only that, but now we just brought Marshall in, we brought James Madison in, brought Southern Miss. Now we've got regional rivalries. And now we're going to say, well, let's do away with that and move towards, you know, a free for all. Um, so I don't even know if we put it up to, to a vote, whether or not other conference schools would, would want to do it. I would assume the Eastern schools would be more prone to wanting to have that kind of setup because there are always two or three really good teams that are left out just because, you know, that there's only one team to represent them in the conference championship. But I still think with bringing the whole point of bringing Marshall and, and JMU in and old dominion was to create these regional rivalries and make travel easier. I just don't see coaches and programs really wanting to get away from that. So I don't think we'll, we'll change it at this point. Jer Jerry, yeah, I think, I'll let you take it. I just want to say in the context of logistics and scheduling, like you said, the entire reason that we kind of aligned ourselves the way we did was to be a cost, a cost cutting measure and to kind of bring some, some stability back to each side, the West and the East I mean, look at the travel partners out out east. I mean, they're, that's it's, it's so easy for them. We have it a little bit worse, but it's still much better for us. I, I don't see how, especially these new institutional, these new uh, Sunbelt Conference members that left Conference USA because of the travel expenses, I don't see how they would vote to get rid of divisions when the divisions actually help them from a financial standpoint. Well, let's look at the logistics. So you just mentioned travel, which was, I was pretty much about to say that. Number one, you look at the G5, okay? It's easier to take a bus to Jonesboro, Arkansas, or take a bus to Troy, Alabama, than it is to have to fly to Huntington, West Virginia, or somewhere, you know, in Virginia, whether it's ODU or, or James Madison, okay? We don't have the budgets of the P5, where we could just get on a plane and fly wherever we want to fly to, right? That's number one. Number two, strength of schedule. Um, the logistics of the schedule... Uh, how, how are they going to select the schedule? You know, I think the beauty of the divisions is that divisions gives you more organization because when the schedule comes out, you know, these five or six teams in my division, I am playing them regardless of how good or how bad they are. Right. So your schedule is pretty much half made just by the division. Well, now it's a free for all. Right. So, you know, what if what if we get paired with Coastal App State and the best of the best and then you have another team that you're actually trying to vie for a conference championship against gets the easy schedule. Now, granted, I, I don't think I have much room to talk when I say that because we've been in that position, but it's under the guise of the division model, which is a fair model. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up too, the big 12 is already doing that right now. The big 12 does not have divisions, So the top two seeds are, are or the top two teams are already playing in the championship game. Um, so we've seen the model work there. But the only issue for us, again, it is going to be travel cost. 
Um, I think it is going to be, you know, who's going to play who, because obviously there's going to be complaints if we have a lot harder schedule or a lot harder, uh, a lot harder of a, of a conference matchup against an App State or a Coastal or a Marshall, and you know, but you know, Arkansas State gets South Al Troy and Texas State. I mean, it's 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 definitely a it's an interesting topic. But I, I am glad that I, I, I think that the conferences will get to decide that. I don't know personally if the Sun Belt would like this right now because I do think with these four teams coming in, I think the, the divisions actually give a little bit of organization and a little bit of sanity to all of the realignment and helping these four teams get acclimated into the conference. It's easy because geographically, you already know, Southern Miss is coming to our division. We're moving Troy over. And then JMU, ODU, and Marshall are going to the east. That kind of there, – there, it's just easier. It's just easier that way right now. Um, but if the P5 conferences want to do that, and obviously they've got money to get on – you know, their teams have money to get on a plane and go wherever they want to go, that's good for them. I just don't know if the G5, like you said, Josh, really have the financials to – be able to do this on a consistent basis because look a lot of this conference realignment you know the elephant in the room is is cost cutting right now schools are trying to save money and if you're going to do a free-for-all in your conference where you're going to have to travel to you know the other side of the country it's going to be a lot different financially just feels like the power broker programs and their commissioners in their conferences you know greg sankey's going to see marsha blackburn i mean they're accelerating the split and they, they are, they're thumbing their nose at amateurism. And I'm not going to go as far as they're as saying they're killing the sport. Like a lot of people believe they're killing the sport. I'm not necessarily saying I don't believe that, but I, I just think that the wheels are in motion and you know, why don't we just come to the table and stop the charade? Let's just, let's just do whatever it is that they want to do because eventually it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. Let's just cut the BS, come to the table and say, what do you guys want? Let them say it out in the open and then go from there. I, I don't know. It just seems like, especially over the last, ever since COVID really, when they've been able to institute the, the transfer rule and kind of me and you know, mess with all this. Uh, I, I, I always forget the transition committee that we keep, we talk about, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. They're up there just making these new rules and basically they're saying, you know what? The little guy has no, there's, there's no place for the little guy here. I, th- I wish we would just get to it. Let's just get down to business. Let's rip the Band-Aid off and just get it done. It, it's every time, every time they meet, something outrageous happens again. I mean, look at a, these, these, the new American conference has done something similar with us where they're going after regional people that fit their footprint um, from an academic standpoint, obviously, and obviously they want to have competitive programs. But all these G5 leagues that are, that are really fighting for traction, they just keep getting stomped on every time these people meet. So we'll see. Well, not only that, but every time we get into the conversation, well, there's new walls they put up. Well, that was good, but now now it's something else because you can't have a tiny piece of this pie. We got to have the whole pie. So, right. so the, right. the, the goalpost keeps keeps you know changing every time every time one of us little guys makes some noise. But why 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 do that? Why go for years and years of doing these little baby steps to your ultimate goal? We know what the ultimate goal is. You want separation. That's fine. Just do it now. Just say it now. 
you know, they, these these little charades of, well, we're going to allow this, but we're not going to allow this. And the and, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that with the scheduling and we're going to do this with the NIL and we're going to do this with the transfer. We're going to do this and this. Just say what you want. Say it now. Do it now. Get it over with. Because well, why, is, why Jerry, hold it off for another 20 years? We know I'll it's going to happen. They need us. They need us in some capacity because this would have been done 10 years ago had they not needed us for something. And I'll tell you, it's because of Mississippi State wants to win 10 games a season instead of going, uh, have a losing record. But, hey, we're playing SEC and we're playing Power 5. Nobody wants to have a program with a losing season. Guess what's going to happen to revenues after you have a couple of those losing seasons and never recover from it? So they need us. They need us for their schedule. They need to get, quote, cupcake games on their schedule that they can beat and and pay you know a couple million dollars to beat and then move about their business. That's why they need us. I think that's why it will never be a true separation. There will be a separation in 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 structure and hierarchy, but I don't think they're going to ever get away from playing us. I, I just don't think that'll happen. I think you have a point with the with the scheduling. I think that's absolutely, especially like those middling Power 5 teams, like your Illinois, your Mississippi States, your Indianas, like those type of teams. Yeah, Maryland's. Uh, yeah, but there are 15 programs in America that could play professional football they just have the fan base they have the endowment they have the money they have the foundation they have the private donors they've got all that stuff but that's a very select few of the 130 that play fbs football i think that (coughs) excuse me i think that scheduling is a big part of it and then also think that there's still bylaws on the books that would open them and when i say them i mean the power brokers in college football it would open them to lawsuits i think that there are still programs at the g5 level and the lower p5 level that have that have ads that'll sue the piss out of the upper echelon p5 schools for for monopolizing the 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 the, the game and the sport it's still business it's big business when mississippi state goes and plays florida when they're winning or lsu when they're winning they make a ton of money off of that if they're going to try to get marginalized down with the g5 programs we don't have the amount of clout because at the end of the day you know we, we just don't have the resources to fight in court and this is all decided in court but mississippi state does and Ole Miss does. Ole Miss is not a blue blood. I know a lot of people like to think that. They don't have the money that an LSU and a Florida has. You know what I mean? These, these low, this, the Missouris of the world, they've got plenty of money, but they don't have what LSU and Florida and these other programs have. Well, if you look at the financials, who, how, how are their athletic programs funded? Almost Majority. exclusively from private donors. That and what else? Student fees. And Television. What else? Television. Exactly. Yeah. The SEC deal, you get... I mean, each school gets what forty-five to fifty million dollars. The TV deal alone is more than the entire UL athletic budget. I mean, pre-COVID, think about that for a second. Pre-COVID, the payout so, was sixty-three million dollars a school from the SEC. That's almost double of what UL has just by the TV deal. So if you're if you're a Missouri, if you're a Vanderbilt, if you're I don't know, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, like an well, I think Ole Miss they, they do have a decent donor base. But if you're like a if you're somebody in the Big Ten, right? If you're if you're in Illinois, if you're in Indiana, like you mentioned, you're not going to get that type of don't you're not you're not going to be able to self-fund your program for the most part right there's only like 20 to 30 schools that can actually self-fund their programs through donations so the other half of the p5 they're going to need all the help they can get through the tv contracts they're going to need all the help they can get through many different student fees so if these top 16 to 20 schools want to create their own monopoly and monopolize their own little league where does that leave the Syracuses? Where does that leave the Washington States? Where does that leave the Arizonas? What do they do now? Where do they go? They sue. They go to court, and then they, they would win easily. And that's, that's why what Nick was saying, there will probably be never a real true separation because the, 
there's there's still a minority of the power brokers. And while they do wield a ton of power, they still need the rest of the hundred and you know fifteen programs out there. They still need them. And well, they don't want to get their asses sued because here's the thing. Once you get sued, you open yourself up to litigation and discovery, and nobody wants that. I promise you Baton Rouge doesn't want any lawyers looking through the rest of their documents and with the, with the shit they've been doing. Well, it goes back to what I talked about. If it's almost inevitable that they want to do it. The problem is, and I forgot to add this part in, when they do decide to make the move and keep that separation, do they not see the consequences of what's going to happen here? Like, I, I don't. They're, they're trying to take these baby steps into trying to make, you know, to try to create the inevitable, but the inevitable really doesn't have an end game. I don't yeah. think Jerry, you're, you're talking about a structure and an organization that allowed NIL to happen with no boundaries, then no cap, up, right? No cap. Give, oh, everybody, everybody. <laughs> now they're talking about everybody gets as many scholarships as you want. And then, so that you're, you're, you're like, well, how can they not have the foresight? They didn't even have the foresight to say, oh, hmm, NIL, will they illegally recruit using that? Of course they will. Oh, well, we didn't know it. We, we, sh- how, you know, we, we, we didn't expect that. Come on. Yeah. yeah they came yeah. back and were like, and we're going to, we're going to yeah. reprimand. We're going to reprimand it's who's ever retroactive. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go prove that. You they're morons. reprimanding donors. It's like, well, this is the rules that you set. You set these standards. And now you're going to punish the people that play by the rules that you set. I mean, that's the NCAA in a nutshell. They don't know what tomorrow brings. They don't know. They're, they're doing everything spontaneously. It's just, I I don't know. Every time we get into this topic, it's always the same thing. There's no end game. There's no end game. We're just going to wing it. Going to wing it. See what happens. Pissing in the wind and it's blowing back in our faces. That's what's happening. Exactly. Anyway, we got Little Rock this weekend. Yeah, You guys heard the league update. The numbers aren't great. Uh, we didn't exactly play well at Little Rock last year. Back in the day when we would lose to a team the year before, when they would come back to town, we had it circled on the calendar that we wanted to win the game. I don't know if that's still going on, but you would think that the players would have some level of, you know, they want to pay him back. So Little Rock poses a threat offensively. They got a first baseman, as Nick will tell you here in a minute, that's hitting like 400, and I think he said his his slug is like six high 600s, maybe low 700s. So... They can definitely swing the bat, uh, as they could last year. I think their Achilles heel is on the mound, uh, which happens a lot at the bottom of the league. So not to be, uh, not to, not to be unexpected, but we're at home. We play better at home. There's no doubt about it. The split is obvious, but it's the last series of the uh, of the season. It's a two. Don't forget that it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. A little bit different. Got to set pitching for the tournament, so that'll be a little bit different. You know, you saw Jeff pitch on Tuesday, which is. I know it's his bullpen day, and I know that he didn't throw many pitches on Sunday in San Marcos, um, but it does make you wonder, are they thinking about maybe making some changes this weekend with the rotation? I think Dex kind of mentioned that, so that'll be something to look forward uh, on our end. Uh, but what do you guys have for, for Little Rock? What do you think, and what do you expect? Yeah, so um, I did kind of what I did last weekend with the Texas State game, and and kind of did a comparison of, of stats between the two teams. And let me tell you, it really played. I mean, the games really played out according to, to what both teams had done until that point this season. Um, but looking at, at little rock, like you alluded to little rock and they can swing, man, they can hit the ball. They actually have a better, uh, a better average than we do. They hit 294 as a team to our 283. Um, as you mentioned, uh, their top two hitters, 
which is, by the way, one of them has the best baseball name I've heard in a while, Canyon McWilliams. It's pretty awesome. He's he's hitting 382. They, he's the first baseman with a slugging 646. And then Noah Dickerson, he's a, he's another hitter. He's a 355, batting 355 with 651 slugging percentage. So they can both uh, they can both swing the bat. Um, uh, the the team as a whole slugs 453, which again is is better than us. We we slug at 451. Um, but that's, but that's really respectable for a, for a team that. You know, Little Rock's not a great team. That's pretty respectable numbers. Exactly, exactly. So um, they they really look a lot like us just based on stats um, in in the hitting category. Um, we we do hit more home runs than they do. We've got fifty one. They've got forty three on the season. Um, but we'll be interested to see what they do this weekend. Obviously, our pitching has to has to be up to the task uh, to get three wins. Um, the the glaring difference between the two teams is is with the pitching staffs we have an era of 4.2 their era is 6.4 so considerable difference there and one really telling statistic on here is that we uh, our pitching staff has has struck out 459 hitters this season their pitching staff has only struck out 355 so we have over 100 more strikeouts by our pitching staff than they do so that bodes well for us because uh, we don't we don't walk a lot. We, you know, we 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 are very aggressive at the plate. And so that's telling me um, that they'll allow hits. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see um, to see how that matchup plays out through the weekend, because, again, if they're not striking us out, um, I think we have a good shot of, of really knocking around the ballpark. So that's what I saw. Um, hoping for, again, a three game sweep. I think we should sweep them. But. Again, um, like any other conference game, like we've said all season, especially against UTA, you, you can't take anything for granted. They can they can hit, and uh, our our bullpen, our staff has to has to really come up and and perform this weekend, uh, give us some momentum going into the tournament. Yeah, you know, Little Rock, they're they're not a bad team, but they're kind of in the middle of the pack. They're one of those teams that can kind of surprise you. Again, they took two out of three from us. Uh, last year so i'm excited to see what we can do i'm sure coach Deggs and the staff are probably going to i mean they're obviously going to play the sweep but also probably do some things to prepare for the tournament um i'm kind of curious to see what they do with the pitching rotation i know obviously we're going to have the three guys uh tally schultz and, and wilson but i'm curious to see how we use our bullpen this week it's going to be interesting if we tend to you know let a few guys pitch every few innings and or, or ride them out i don't know but uh I'm interested to see what happens there. But, you know, looking at their schedule, um, right now their overall schedule, uh, the Little Rock Trojans are 23 and 24. Uh, they're 10 and 16 in conference. They're 5 and 5 in their last 10 games. Um, definitely a Jekyll Hyde type team, home and away. Uh, they're 20 and 11 at home, but they're 3 and 13 on the road. So, just like UTA that works to our advantage, uh, especially the way we play at home. So hopefully that can, that can work to our favor this weekend. Um, their RPI is 188. So uh, believe it or not, that's a lot better uh, leading up to the Texas state series. That's a lot better than the two series before that with app and, uh, and, and UTA. Um, I looked at their schedule. Their non-conference really wasn't that strong. Uh, it seems like they played, 
every directional Illinois team except for Northern Illinois. Uh, they opened up against Eastern Eastern Illinois, took two out of three. Of course, there's a little bit of a sentiment. Uh, there's kind of sentimental because if you remember the 2014 season, guess who we opened up the season with? Eastern Illinois. And we actually lost the first game, ironically, and ended up taking three out of four that year, which was very strange. But uh, they took two out of three against Eastern Illinois. Uh, they swept Western Illinois. And they took one out of three against Southern Illinois, who, by the way, has an RPI, I think, in the top 80. So um, no, they're, not good. A bad they're team. always good. Yeah, not a bad team. I think they're 38 and 13. So they might they might make a run at a regional as well. Um, some things that stuck out to me. Uh, first of all, we got swept at Troy. They took two out of three at Troy. Uh, we swept Georgia, uh, Georgia State on the road. They got swept by Georgia State on the road. Um, and also, too, they took one out of three against Georgia Southern this weekend. They actually had a rubber match on Sunday. Uh, swept ULM at home. They actually split a two-game series uh, against Louisiana Tech. Now, they played – well, it wasn't a series. They played at different parts of the year, but they split with, with Louisiana Tech like we did. They went over two against Arkansas State at home, uh, the third game getting canceled, I believe, due to weather. So, uh, overall um, – and they also swept UTA as well. So really, when you think about it, they beat. I mean, they they they. It's a it's kind of weird because again, they took two out of three against Troy. They almost won the series against Georgia Southern, but then they almost got they they literally got swept by Arkansas State and Georgia State. So they're kind of an enigma. I guess it's kind of a mystery with them. You don't know what you're going to get with them. But again, three and thirteen on the road. So hopefully that works in the favor of the Cajuns. So. Not a bad team, just a team that you don't want to overlook. I guess that's the best way to describe Little Rock. Is it just one of those teams that you just don't know what you're going to get with them, but you don't want to take them for granted either. And Jerry, I think uh, to your point about they're kind of wishy-washy, you never know what you're going to get. They're fielding second to last in the uh, in the conference at 962. So that that could explain why, right? Uh, they don't feel very well. So um, strange, so yeah, that, man. That combined with their higher ERA and they don't get a whole lot of strikeouts, they a lot of uh, allow a lot of balls to be put in play. I think that kind of sums up why you probably have that erratic record. But that's actually okay. That actually works to our favor this weekend because number one, hundred percent, our bats are hot, and number two, if they hit the ball so well, this is a perfect time for our bullpen to practice before the tournament. Perfect time. I don't have any. I don't have a compilation of stats, but I would I would bet that teams that don't feel the ball well well throughout the course of the season we do pretty good against because the weight the controlled chaos offense if you don't if if you don't have a solid infield I'm sorry you dead meat look what we did to Arkansas State that for some reason that one really stuck out they were so so bad though uh, but but anyway that was one of the reasons why I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't do more small ball against Texas State because I thought that that was the matchup that favored us and we didn't really get to use it. And we didn't try to use it as much as I would have liked. That's exactly what I was about to say, because they're feeling fielding 962 Texas States fielding 964. So it's not that far off. We just didn't take advantage of it. And we were well, really in, in the position to do that. You tried to beat Texas state with power. And the reality is, is we're not, I mean, yes, we do have some power to our swing, but I mean, a Dag's offense is a, a type of offense that can play small ball and mash at the same time. So, 
I don't think we we kind of over did overdrive with the with the mashing instead of the small ball, which, you know, again, I actually look forward to that in Montgomery because that ballpark plays to our favor in that regard. So um, I think we look that approach. We need to take that approach against this team. If you're if you're fielding 962 and they're, you're, you don't play well on the road like they don't play well on the road. You, you have to you have to take advantage of that with a little bit of small ball. And if you get the chance to to have a meatball pitched over the plate, mash it. But in the meantime, this is a weekend where we I think we have an opportunity to score some runs. And, and look, they might look, they may get to our pitching too, you know, one or two days. So our bats are gonna have to come alive this weekend. One little last little bit before the weekend comes. Uh if you if you're kind of sitting at home and you're thinking, you know, it's hot, I really don't get excited about Little Rock. I, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna go to the games. Carson Rockefort has the opportunity to do something pretty historic. He needs three home runs and 12 RBI to set single-season records for this program, which is pretty historic and pretty incredible if you think about kind of the struggles of the offense early. Now, the offense has kind of rounded out. You know, Nick mentioned we're hitting 283 as a team, which is a little higher than I expected it to be. Uh, But he didn't have a ton of help early on. And for the first six weeks to eight weeks of the season, that guy stayed hot. And he is a big reason why we're even in the position that we are today. So go out and see if Rock can chase some history. Uh, obviously, we still have two guaranteed games left in the tournament, so his his quest to break some records doesn't end with Little Rock on Saturday. Uh, but you know what? They got a team ERA of almost seven. So you would think that he's going to get a couple of opportunities if they decide to pitch to him. So that's a little something, a little tidbit to get you guys out to the park. Uh, funny thing, after Tuesday night's game, uh, we went out, we wanted to get something to eat. Always end up but Buffalo Wild Wings because nobody else is open and we have a policy that if somebody was is within an hour of closing, we won't sit down to eat. We'll just go somewhere else. So we decided to end up at Nasty Buffalo Wild Wings and we were eating and hanging out and the next thing you know, I think it was Peyton Havard, Carson, and I, I didn't make out the other two guys, but uh, they had a group of friends there. And uh, we were walking, we, we ate, we walked out, told them a good game and everything and they couldn't have been nicer, so... Want to give a shout out to Rock. Seems like a solid dude. Um, Peyton Havard as well, uh, super nice guy. But go out and support the guys. Let's see if we can see some history. We hadn't seen history in a while at the T. Man, I tell you what. Man, I tell you what. Cajun Nation, we have a week to a week and a half of intense competition. Our softball team travels to Clemson, South Carolina for regionals. We'll see what this softball team can do, this young softball team that has a chance to advance to a super regional and possibly Oklahoma City after much turmoil and much adversity earlier in the year. Meanwhile, baseball will be playing senior weekend against Little Rock. Get a chance to watch a few guys graduate on the field, get to say goodbye to this team for 2022, and once again, See another team play for a chance to make a run at a conference tournament and possibly maybe a regional. So with that being said, in spite of what's going on this weekend, I just have one simple question. Can we all just get on the same page, support the Cajuns, and let's save the drama for another time? That is all. Go Cajuns. Then I tell you what. Short, sweet, and to the point. I like it.
Um, I'm glad you made it the comment about senior weekend because that's not something not many people, I mean, I haven't heard much about it. So these guys are leaving our program. You always want to send them out with a bang. Uh, you know, these guys, they choose to be Raging Cajuns. They stay here for three, four, five years, however long they're here. And, you know, we need to thank them. We need to show up for them. Special around here, too. I think we do a good job with it. You know, one of the coolest traditions we have at the Teague is the fact that we actually get to see players graduate on the field in their baseball uniform. I know it started around 15 or so years ago, and it's so cool to see that. You know, it's one thing to uh, see it on stage like I got to experience, but for a player to do it on the field, their last home game in front of family and friends, and, you know, for Dr. Savoy to come out and do the thing with the degrees and all, it's really, really neat to see. So for those... I think the game's at four o'clock on Saturday. If you get out there a little bit early, you can congratulate these guys uh, being there. And I believe, um, yeah, the game's at four o'clock on Saturday. So yeah, go check it out. It's a really, really unique tradition here for our baseball program. So, And also thank you to the players. Think about where we were a couple years ago after Rope's passing. It's been a long couple years and they're, they're leaving the place a lot better than they found it. So go thank them. It's a great point, Nick. All right, everybody, at Raisin Review, all social media platforms. If you hit us up, be nice. We might bite back. Go support the guys. Go Cajuns. Go!